Welcome to Mihinte on Air on 100.5 and 790 News Radio WSGW and online WSGW.com. Now, here is your host, Larry Rodarte. Buenos noches, mi gente. Good evening. How is everyone out there in the radio listening world? I hope all is well as we start moving into the post pandemic world. We really didn't know how hard the coronavirus was going to hit us. When it started back in March of 2020, remember that? You know, it's, it's, it's been a long time. We may have thought it was going to last maybe a month or two, but it actually lasted now like around 15 months. And beyond the illnesses of family or friends or even the deaths that we have encountered, there's a whole mentality issue. Mentally, we have all suffered more than we actually realize. People are on edge, especially on the roads or at fast food windows. I've seen this this week, or even in our relationships. It's been tough. There's been no concerts, really, no family gatherings of conversations or hugs, and just pretty much lockdown. Well, for some, and this week more restrictions were lifted by our governor. It's time to move on and out of the tunnel and closer to way. To our way of life, to a sense of normalcy. So, I want you to hear a little bit about from this music bed here. So, I think that gets you in the mood to to want to dance, and I know that. People that I've talked to all can't wait until they are dancing again, especially at the Union Civica Mexicana. I wanted to announce today that locally the Union Civica Mexicana is opening up the historic hall for rentals again and for dances. And our first post pandemic celebration is going to be Sunday, June 20th, for Father's Day, on Father's Day. And we have Cojunto Champs from Saginaw, which you're listening to right there. And Los Aztecas from Toledo, Ohio, ready to grab the accordions and guitars and jam to Conjunto Tejano music for the Grand Baile to honor our fathers. Man, it's going to feel so great, isn't it? So today I have Ronnie Longoria with Los Aztecas. Ronnie, welcome to Mi Gente On Air. Thank you very much, Larry. Que te pasa, que te pasa. How are you? How you been in Toledo, Ohio? Uh, we've been uh, the, the restrictions were lifted here a lot earlier, so we've already been uh, we've already been doing quinceañeras and and really all kinds of dances. So things are starting to get going over here. So I'm glad that that uh, you know uh, Saginaw is starting to have dances again too. We're really excited about it. Yeah, when things did you get back to normal? You know, when did you guys start opening? Uh, well, we had it's been a few months, but probably it started with we were playing uh, uh, clubs and dances, but only to eleven. We were playing six to eleven, and then uh, they they were going by how many visits in the hospitals or how the hospitals were, and then all of a sudden they just lifted everything. Uh, and I think our mask uh, mandate is going to be um, ending too if you're vaccinated. So um, yeah, yeah. But uh, all the all the guys in the band, we we all got vaccinated. Just you know whether what what we believe or don't believe, it, you know, if we're going to be doing dances, we just want to be safe. So and we want the people to be safe because. You know, we want things to get back to normal as fast as possible. 
Yes, definitely. How do you feel uh, playing in Saginaw for the Saginaw crowd and at the Civica? Oh, man, we are really excited. You know, uh, we, we, we love the people in Saginaw. And let me tell you something. For a band that's not from Saginaw, Saginaw is a very hard, hard crowd to break into. You know, and I don't blame them because you guys got your favorite bands. I mean, you guys locally, you guys really don't want to go anywhere else. You guys just like the Cojunto Champs. And, and, you know, Saginaw, they got their band. So for us to get a dance over there, and I don't know if you remember this, was the very first time we played there is we were working with the promoter, and we actually did a three-day weekend with Shelly Lattis. You remember that? Yes, that yes, I do. Time. Yes, that was yeah. an awesome dance. <laughs> well, I was very excited. I was like, all right, now the people of Saginaw don't have no choice but to hear it. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so we actually set up the sound for Shelly. And you know what? That was that was the beginning. That's when I had met you, and that's when I had met everybody. And, and uh, you know, really, we just we really bonded with people in Saginaw. As a matter of fact, that night, um, somebody invited us over to their house. And he said, you know what? You come over. My wife's going to make you enchiladas tonight. And, and they did. And we hung out with them for a while. So we've made many friends in Saginaw. And we've done quinceaneras, birthday parties. We've played at the Civica, you know, a handful of times. And uh, so, so we're really excited to get We've even had people from Saginaw travel uh, to Toledo to our dances to come hear us. Um, so, we, we, you know, I'm really glad because, like I said, Saginaw wasn't, it wasn't an easy town for us to break into. But now that, you know, I knew they would like us if, if, if they gave us a chance, and, and they did. Yes, so we're we excited do. to be back Yes, there. we do. And we're excited to have you for Father's Day weekend um, 2021. Tell me, Ronnie, tell me a little bit about the band Los Aztecas, and how did you get started, and, and kind of what are the dynamics of the band? It's it's family-run, isn't it? Yeah, we, we've always, as a matter of fact, I've, I've never played with any other band besides my brothers. And we're all brothers. There's four of us in the band, but there's actually, I have, uh, there's six of us all together, and we're all musicians. Now, two of them, um, their jobs and, and personal lives uh, led them to a different road where they had to stop playing, but the four of us are still playing together, and, uh, you know, basically, mostly, uh, you know, it's family. My dad started the band uh, a while ago, and it was for fun, and then it turned out, I think it was this, uh, it was like the late 80s, he had, he had ended up losing his job, so we actually, <laughs> we did it for a couple years for a living. You know, and, and it was uh, it was kind of rough, but, but we got through it, and, you know, he was able to get on his feet and everything again. But it showed us really appreciation for it, you know, when you have to do it, and that's your moneymaker. So, you know, we, we respect the crowds, and we respect the places, and, and, you know, anytime anybody hires us, we really appreciate it. Yeah. And so, um, and my dad never missed a gig. As a matter of fact, well, you met my dad a couple of times. Yes. But, you know, he had passed. Uh, it's been a year since he passed, but never missed the gig he was just always so proud that we all stayed together all these years so it's you know it's really family's really important to us yeah that's that's, really that's really longevity there you know you're talking 30 40 years right yeah so yeah since i was uh i I started playing in my dad's band when i was 14 years old and, and you know I'm in my forties now, so, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, we, and we just have a, we just have a really good connection, you know, we just, we, we, we do everything together and, and, uh, you know, even when we don't get together on, on the weekends and, you know, my mother, she still travels with us. And so, you know, we're all about family and and that's really the, what, what's held the band together. You know, I don't even have to really, we don't really even have to talk anymore. We all know what each other's going to do on stage, off stage. So, (laughs) right. Right. Well, when you talk about family, I think that's what you're talking about as well with the Civica. And I talked and opened up the show and talking about our mentality because of this COVID pandemic. And, you know, I 
I thought, wow, we need to, you know, get back into the groove and open up again and have a, a big dance so that, you know, people can actually feel better and celebrate. And I think with your music, with Conjunto Champs, Las Aztecas playing and the dance floor packed and, and the good food of the Civica, I think that's really going to do a lot for our mentality as a, as a community, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. You know, people are just like, well, you know, they're just dances. I think people are going to be okay if they don't have a beer. But really, you know, the, the stresses from your work week, the stresses from your life, I mean, you need that outlet. I mean, even as bands, we need that outlet, you know, and, and, and to, to be able to connect with people, to be able to see people, you know, and it's even at the dances that we've had here, you know, I'm used to hugging people you know, and, and shaking hands and, and having a drink at the bar. And even that's been restricted, you know, so it's, it's tough. It's tough, but you know, people really need that connection and they need that outlet in their life. It's, you know, get you through the week. <laughs> right. Right. So describe uh, Las Aztecas music for us at the Hano band in the Midwest. And how do you see your band compared to say the Texan bands? Well, you know, uh, the, the Texas bands, it's, it's, it's a whole nother world. You know, the, those bands, you know, they're, they, we kind of tried to mimic what they create because, um, you know, the, the people have the longing to be in Texas. They go to San Antonio. So we try to, we try to bring a little piece of that here, you know, but that being said, I think, I think a lot of the, I think, I think we live in a great area for Tejano music. I mean, there's, we have amazing bands around here. You know what I mean? We're, we're so lucky to have so many clubs and so many places, uh, close by around and, and an amazing amount of bands. Um, as far as our music, we've, uh, we are Tejano, but basically we, we want to, we want to, we want to play feeling music. You know, we want to, we want, we want to hit people right in their feelings. We want to play that song that they met their wife to, or, you know, the, the song that reminds them of their brother that passed away or the song when, you know, mm-hmm. that reminds them of the greatest times of their life. And, and that's what it's all about is, you know, hitting somebody. So, you know, we, we like to, we do a lot of cojunto, a lot of old school music. Um, we also do a lot of the, the good cumbias that get people dancing, merengues and things like that. And so, you know, we're, I, I feel like we're a feeling band, you know, we just, we try to try to play that song that's going to make people be excited to dance. You know? Right, right. When you, when you, when you perform and you're singing up there in front of the crowd, what are you feeling and, and what, what is your favorite song of, of the songs that you guys perform? Um, yeah, like I said, when, when we, when we, we, when we play at different places, we I kind of create a set that I know that's going to hit there. You know, like we're already working on the set for for Saginaw. You know what I mean? We've, mm-hmm. I mean, we're you know we played there a while now, so we we know what the crowd likes there. So we're gonna we're gonna play those songs for them. And you know, as far as uh, personally, what I like my my favorite song to sing is um, it's a song called uh, No Liare by the by the Mafia. Oh, uh huh. And I just yeah, you know that song. No esperes que mañana vuelvas porque no That's just my favorite song to play, and it, it, we, I kind of hit people with it in the middle of the night because a romantic cumbia just you know it, it hits you in another level. So people love it. I love it too. So I'm glad they like it because it's my favorite song. Andale, <laughs> Ronnie, andale. <laughs> Well, we do. We do love your music. We love the energy. We love the the actual performance and how, you know, you have your big screen out there and you kind of, you know, are setting the bar in terms of the actual performance, the the the, the whole uh, caption of, of what they kind of do in Texas, like you said. And it's a package and it's part of the whole deal and what gets people excited and 
why we're dancing, we're going around in the circle like we do, which, you know, many communities <laughs> don't understand that, but that's our community and it always has been around here. So, you know, it's, it's right. just awesome. And I, and I think part of that whole package as well is the civica and having the food that we have, the patitos and the menudo. Do they have oh, patitos man. in Toledo? You know, they don't. They don't. As a matter of fact, that's the first time that I've had them when we played there. And, you know, it's so funny is because uh, everybody, the guys, you got to try them, they got to try them. But, you know, before we play, I never eat because I got like a, a nervous stomach and I, it just doesn't go well. But I always take food to go. And, boy, I was much. These are good. Yeah. <laughs> I was munching on the way home. Well, for, for my I'm listening. the first order. Yeah, for my <laughs> listening audience, I just want to explain that um, we roll out our masa, our dough, and I've talked about that on the on this show before, and then we deep fry that. Uh, in a fryer and then we put uh you know it's already got the hamburger meat in there and then we just top that like a regular taco with uh cheese lettuce uh tomato but it's something that's kind of specific for saginaw and you don't hear too much about the patito um they may go under a different name like a chalupa at taco bell or uh, other different names throughout other regions but Oh, they're delicious. Yeah, they're we, delicious we call it patito here in Saginaw. Ronnie and his brothers, I save them at the end of the night, uh, the, the, the food, so that they can go home with full stomachs after a great performance, right? Oh, oh yeah, we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's so important when we have you guys come to the Civica that you leave, that you're there, and you have an experience yourself as a musician because – we don't want to just uh, have you come and perform and there's no interaction, you know, with the crowd or with the community or with even the Civica itself. We want to, you know, really engage you with our community so that you're going to want to come back and you're going to uh, really enlighten the crowd to the experience of, you know, Tejano Conjunto music. And, and that's what we do. That's yeah. what we, we really try to do. So I really want to thank you, Ronnie, for, for doing that and your brothers. And we, like you said, you mentioned your father, and he was always part of the group as well, even though he wasn't a performer, but he's the one that originated uh, the Las Aztecas. What year would you say that yeah, was? 1975. He started out as a guitar player until um, so his accordion player quit, and then he had to learn how to play accordion. So he was the accordion player until actually I took over. <laughs> wow. So, that really, ama- that really, <laughs> it really amazes me when I, when I hear that you know people can just pick up a, a, a musical instrument and just are self-taught and learn and you know right. you, you see a lot of that with within the Tejano and Conjunto groups and uh, we have a lot of that and like you said in this region in the Midwest region uh, we have a lot of different bands from different cities like Grand Rapids has theirs with uh, 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 what's the group out there uh, with Junior uh, Oh, Estrellas de Oro, Estrellas de Oro. Oh, I Estrellas de Oro, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we have La yeah. Cooperación in Lansing, and, and we have... Favorite, one of my favorites. <laughs> yep, yep, and we also have Tejano Sound Band in Lansing, Cajunto Champs in Saginaw, we have Frankie Rodriguez in How Desastres, and and we've got um, the, the guys from Adrian, uh, Los Hermanos Viegas, and Las yeah, Aztecas. Yeah, one of I my mean, favorites. Yeah, yeah. We, we've really got a, a handful, and we have some female singers out there as well that are doing some great things. Amanda Sena, and uh, uh, I can't remember some of the other ones, but it, it's really, 
nice that we can pull from the different areas um, and have them performing at the Civica or other dances in Saginaw and that vice versa, uh, they can perform also in Toledo. Where, where are they performing mostly in the Toledo area? Um, right now, we uh, there's only one club that's hiring, which is uh, the Cantina, which is uh, uh, right uh, near downtown Toledo, which they they have bands every single Saturday. I mean, they never really stop. So, you know, that, that's a really important place. They also bring big names, too. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I believe they have uh, J.R. Gomez coming soon. And, um, and uh, there's different places, like the Stranahan Theater is having a three-day festival this year. With, yeah, uh, Joe Lopez and Moss. Yeah, that's going to be huge. That's yeah. exciting. They're, they're yeah. going to have a whole lineup. Even Michael Salgado is going to be on there, right? Yeah, yeah. We're playing on. Uh, we're going to play on Saturday with Michael Salgado uh, at the festival. So it's going to be nice. It's going to be an outdoor event too. And um, but you know, right now is uh, uh, there's also a nice place in Fremont, which is forty about forty minutes from here. But I mean, really, with I think all the bands are busy right now with quinceañeras because of all the quinceañeras that canceled last year, where they're all coming over to this. Yeah, yeah. To this year, so our we our summer is pretty much uh, all the way booked. <laughs> so you know that's a good thing, and people are getting out. So like I said, it's yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. So well, uh, the Union Civica make on a just reopened their hall like last week. We kind of announced it, and we're already booked June and July, pretty much filled can you believe that so yeah, yeah you're right no, people yeah. graduation parties quinceaneras weddings i mean everybody's ready everybody is ready to kind of get back to their normal lives post-pandemic and and get beyond what we have gone through these last 15 months and uh, really that's why i said okay when people said are you gonna have a dance come on we need a dance larry and i said okay okay let's, yeah. let's look at father's day and I talk with Champ, and then I talk with you, and I thought, man, we, we really got to do this. And it's difficult still because as we made these decisions about this upcoming dance, we were still under the restrictions of governor of the governor of Michigan. And that just um, – they just uplifted some of those restrictions yesterday. Well, June 1st, actually. And so – and then in July 1st, even more restrictions will be lifted. So – we're moving in the right direction, and we can't go back. I hope we don't go back, and uh, I hope that we're beyond this pandemic like everyone else. So I, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. for you guys. I know that uh, as a musician, it's difficult because you know, you, as a musician, you need to be in front of a crowd, right? Oh, yeah. Like I said, it's, you know, and, and I, everybody, that's, that's just our outlet. Yeah. But you know, as a human being, we all need an outlet, you know. Right. And so that that's that's the way we have our outlet. And some people go into the dance and 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 dancing with their husband or their wife or their tias, you know, that's their outlet. And it's it's just been, you know, so restricted that I think everybody's feeling that way, you know. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, we have music from uh, Conjunto Champs. They couldn't be with us today. They had some obligations. Uh, with their kids, but I want to play again a, a little uh, music bed from them, and uh, we got to hear from Ronnie Langoria from Las Aztecas, but let's hear from Conjunto Champs and another bed from them. And 
that's going to champs. I, I know I know that gets you excited, Ronnie, right? To to want to <laughs> dance and, oh, and, yes. and when you guys aren't performing and they are, you're gonna be out there uh, with your wife. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like I said, we've we've made a lot of friends in Saginaw. I mean, we've we've got hired for their quinceañeras, their birthday parties, their uh, so we're going to be out with the crowd mingling. That's what we, that's what we love to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So any last words you have for our, our listening audience here in the Great Lakes Bay region before your upcoming performance on June 20th, June 20th, Father's Day at the Union Civica Mexicana. Any last words? Ronnie? Yeah. I just want to, you know, invite everybody down and, and let them know it's going to be a good time. And we want to say thank you to Saginaw and for you guys not having a dance in a while. And you guys choosing us to be there for your first dance, it really means a lot to us. It really does. So we're going to put on a good show for you guys. And, and more importantly, we're going to make sure everybody in the place has fun. And I always like to, after, uh, while we're setting up, I always like to go in the back and joke with all the ladies cooking because they're so funny. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're, they're, believe me, they are. They are. There's something else. No, <laughs> but, it, but anyways, a, a shout out to the Civica Kitchen too, who will be cooking. Mary Hernandez Silvas and Juanita Rodarte. They're going to be out there. But I just want to mention that the tickets are on sale for this upcoming Father's Day dance at Maria's Restaurant as well as Vargas Tortillas. And uh, we want you to get out there, get your pre-tickets before, uh, so that they don't cost so much at the door for you. But we do have a restriction of 150 people still, which is the half of the capacity of the hall. So get your tickets early, people. And I, I want to thank, again, Ronnie Longoria from Las Aztecas for being with us today and promoting the Tejano Cajunta genre that he is so well known for. And we'll be back with Mi Gente On Air. Adios, Ronnie. We'll see you. Hey, thank you, guys. We'll see you on Father's Day. This is Mihinta on Air on WSGW. Listening to Be Hinte on Air on WSGW. And we're back. We're back here on Mi Gente on Air. Every week we come on and broadcast this show from a different lens. One that emphasizes Latino culture and contributions. And it's important that we talk about issues affecting us here in the Great Lakes Bay region and across the nation. You know, Latinos make up 14% of the population here locally in Saginaw, and those numbers will most likely increase with the 2020 census. So today on Mi Gente on Air, I want to talk about what happened this week when President Joe Biden got on Air Force One and headed to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Did you hear about this? Do you know what he was commemorating on June 1st earlier this week? 100 years ago the Tulsa Race Massacre took place. And I have to admit, I've only heard about it 
once prior to when President Biden went to Tulsa. And I and I we're going to talk about why that is that I only heard of it very, uh, very uh, seldom in my lifetime um, and kind of just didn't understand the importance of it. But it was actually on June 1st, 1921, 100 years ago in the Greenwood District, where a black community was thriving with businesses, homes, schools, a municipal building. It had they had over 40 blocks that were attacked by an angry white mob. Many of the mob participants were deputized and given weapons by city officials to burn businesses. And this all was under the pretense that a black man sexually assaulted a 17-year-old white girl and killed 10 men. It was the worst racial violent incident in our American history. Planes were even flown over the Greenwood District, destroying 35 blocks that was the wealthiest black community at the time. And it is known today and then as Black Wall Street. No U.S. president ever went to Tulsa to recognize what had happened until June 1st, when President Biden did this week. It's pretty amazing when you think about it from a historical standpoint, because it's being recognized finally. And he commemorated this day so that we can remember it and move forward and not let it happen ever again. This is what President Biden said. He said, 100 years ago, at this hour on the first day of June, smoke darkened the Tulsa sky, rising from 35 blocks of Greenwood that were left in ash and amber. And... (laughs) Biden also continued that there was no proper accounting for the dead or any arrests made. In less than 24 hours, 1,100 black homes and businesses were lost. Insurance companies, they did have insurance, many of them, they rejected the claims of the damage. 10,000 people were left destitute and homeless, placed in internment camps. Can you believe that? This is our American history, and we really need to talk about it. It started on May 31st, actually, and went into June 1st. That was the time period in 1921. And today I want to bring in a local historian. I call him a local historian, Mr. John Ayala, to talk about this incident and our U.S. president's visit. John, what are your thoughts about President Biden's visit this week? And and welcome to me, Hendy, on air. Larry, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you know what my thoughts are? About time. Yes. About time. This should not take 100 years to acknowledge. It should have been acknowledged right away. But that is really indicative of our history. You know, we can talk about the Tulsa massacre, but that's only one. And there are many, many more events, similar events, that we're not talking about. So it, it, it's it's time we stop whitewashing our history. Let's acknowledge all the good things we've done. And we've done a lot as a country. We've done a lot of yes. good things. But there are a lot of things we didn't get right. And, and Biden's absolutely right. We need to know this, acknowledge the truth, so we can go forward. Otherwise, we, you know, we don't realize uh, where we've really missed the mark. And it's possible for us to miss it again. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, so that is so important. And, and this is just one event. You know, we can talk about so many others. We can talk about the Japanese internment 
during World War II. We can talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act of the late 1800s. You know, we, we can talk about the, uh, the Zoot Suit riots during World War II, uh, where Latinos and blacks were attacked by American servicemen for the outfits they wore. I mean, there's a lot of examples, and they all parallel each other. Mm-hmm. It stemmed from white supremacy. Yes, and, yes. And a hatred of the other. Right, right. Let me, let me ask you this, John. Why is it important for us to talk about this on a show like Mi Gente on Air? Well, let me use an expression that, that's pretty popular. And I might get it wrong, exactly right, but, but you'll get the gist of it. A rising tide lifts all ships. Mm, yeah. So if one of us is not free, all of us are not free. Yes. So mi gente, yes, mi gente is focused on Hispanic. But let me tell you, brown is just one shade different than black. And, and white supremacists don't make a distinction. Right. They say other. Yes. So, so it's important that, that we all pull together. That's, that's one of the things that I've really encouraged about when people talk about issues now. They talk about how it affects people of color. Yes, yes. And I've that's, noticed that's that, too. That's all-encompassing. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that, too. And it, it's, it's something that is so important to recognize because I've said this so many times on this show as well as in my magazine. This is our fight, too. You know, it, it's, it it's our fight. And although this was something that happened in black American history, we have to make sure that uh, we recognize it for what it is and move on. And that so that it doesn't happen again, so that history doesn't repeat itself. Just just like the, the Holocaust, you know, we have to remember what happened there so that history sure. doesn't happen again like that. And somehow, I you know, I think of the repatriations of the Mexican people here in the state of Michigan back in the 40s when, when they were sent uh, back to Mexico. People, American citizens that were of Mexican descent were actually put on buses it happened here in Saginaw at the gray iron plant they were put on buses whether they were american citizens or mexican citizens they didn't distinguish because they didn't even have their papers or their identification at the time they put them on buses and they sent them back to mexico and that exactly and why why because there was a backlash their jobs were hard to get they felt like the like uh, Mexicans or others were taking their jobs. So let's get rid of them and the jobs will be ours. Well, Isn't that sound familiar? Jobs. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> we haven't learned our history, so we repeat it. Yes. You know, the Bacero, and I think it's called the Bacero Program, mm-hmm. was an arrangement between the U.S. government and the Mexican government to compensate for the manpower shortage during World War II. And it, it actually started before World War II, but it, it would go in cycles. When we really needed it, we welcomed them. Then when jobs were tight, we kicked them out. Yes, yes. Well, and, and the yeah. Bracero program was so important for the agriculture for our area as well as many areas throughout the United States when there was a shortage of workers because of the war, because so many of our, our men were out uh, fighting in Europe. And the Bracero program started as a result of that where they brought uh, Mexican workers from Mexico to the United States to work the fields. 
And then, uh, yeah. like John John said, they welcomed them when there was a shortage, but when there wasn't, they wanted them out of the country. And it's it's some you know you hear about this, you, you see the the lining for what it is and how they say, well, they're taking our jobs, but. You and I both know, John, that so many people, it takes a certain type of person to actually get out there and work in the fields for eight, nine, ten hours a day. And I don't think that our, our, our Mexican people who are working in the fields, who are used to that, are taking the jobs of our American uh, counterparts. Wouldn't you say? Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, there, there are anecdotal stories about, you know, Hundreds of jobs being available, only a few Americans applied, and they didn't last a week. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's not like, it's not, listen, if they say, oh, they're taking our jobs, then what did you study in school? Right, right. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of funny. But, but, but that's, that's recurring in history. Look at the, the Transcontinental Railroad. You know, for the, for the Pacific Railroad to, to come from the Pacific Coast, it was easier to bring in Chinese laborers than to transport Anglo laborers across the country. You know, the, the railroad didn't exist. Right. And the belief was that after the railroad was done, all those Chinamen would go back to China. Well, guess what? They wanted to stay. Yeah. <laughs> and they were resented for it. Yes, they were. And yet, and today, here in 2021, we're still having racial issues with our Asian counterparts. Can you believe that? Oh, I, I can, because we <laughs> haven't learned our lessons. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, wa- I want to go back to what happened in Tulsa, because that's that's primarily the topic of the show. And, and we can get off topic and go into all these other issues, but it's all related. You know, it's all part of why it's so important to bring this topic today. And you know, I wish I had some beds from President Biden because he said a lot yesterday while he was in Tulsa. But one of the things that, you know, was real important was when he said, my fellow Americans, this was not a riot. This was a massacre among the worst yeah. in our history, but not the only one. And for too long, forgotten by our history, as soon as it happened, there was a clear effort to erase it from our memory, our collective memories. The president, oh, you know, and the president went on to say that what happened in Greenwood was an act of hate and domestic terrorism with a through line that exists today still. Can you believe that? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I do believe that. If you look at the number of terrorist acts committed in this country, the overwhelming number of them have been perpetrated by white supremacists. Yes. Not from people outside the country, our fellow countrymen. Yes, yes, and he, he specifically, want, you know, he, yeah, he recalled the 2017 Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. He recalled that, and, and we all seen that. This is, this, was our, this is our present time that just happened, what, four years ago in Virginia when the insurrection at, at the U.S. Capitol also, you know, this past January, calling white supremacy the most lethal threat to the homeland today, you know? Man, what 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 a what a time we are living in historically. We we've gone through so much, and and yesterday, uh, yet yeah, not yesterday, uh, earlier this week when President Biden went down to Tulsa, there were three survivors of the Tulsa massacre, and they were each over a hundred years old. Well, because this happened over a yeah. hundred years ago, they were children yeah, at the exactly. time. Yeah, and they said the road to justice has been a long one, and yet. We had a U.S. president go down there and commemorate it. What is your feeling today, John? Because you have 
lived uh, during the 60s, during, you remember the, the riots of the 60s that happened here in Michigan. What would you say is the historical significance of this U.S. president going down to Tulsa? Well, I, I think it's really important given how much uh, there's been a, a, a rise in, in nationalism and white supremacy. And, and that can only be justified through the complete ignorance and denying what happened. The president speaking specifically to it mm-hmm. is going to make that rise at least face some, some uh, you know, the, the, the uh, oh, what's the word I want to say? It's going to see the light of day. It's going to be scrutinized. It's going to be called out for what it is, hateful. Yes. So, so it was important for him to do that in the context of what's going on in our country now. Yes, it, it, it's it's really significant. I mean, it just I was really surprised that uh, I I was witnessing this yesterday, and yet I felt that the majority of a lot of my counterparts were not even listening. And so I said, you know, I've got to talk about this on Mi Gente on Air because it's it's really a significant event to re- remember what happened 100 years ago. And oh, for sure. On top of that, uh, the president announced that he would use federal purchasing powers to grow federal contracting with small disadvantaged businesses, many of them minority-owned. That that affects me and you, you know, from 10 yeah, to 15 sure. percent. So, I mean, we're actually seeing some progress here. And the White House said that they will translate an additional $100 billion over five years. That That's significant. And, man, I hope that... It, you know, that there's accountability on this, that, yes, we will see these funds, you know, targeted to economically underserved and underdeveloped communities, you know, like Greenwood, like Saginaw, where the, you know, where where the money is needed for communities of color. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing that's real important. Many people in the past have, have considered any help to specific groups is at the expense of some other group, a zero-sum game, if you will. The president is pointing out, no, it's not a zero-sum game. It's going back to what I said, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yes. And so it helps the whole country. It doesn't mean that we're going to take something away from someone else and give it over here. It's saying we're going to level the playing field. We're going to give the assistance to the people who have been denied assistance for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, so that's how I feel about it. Yeah. And, and President Biden is also targeting discrimination in the housing market. Now, I mean, really, after 50 years since the Fair Housing Act was passed, we're still here talking about this. I mean, I got to say, in my lifetime, I'm, I'm seeing some change in racial relations, you know, within our younger people. They want equity and equality for all. No longer oh, sure. is white supremacy attitudes going to go unchecked. And the department is moving towards traditional inter, inter, interpretations of the Fair Housing Act. And I say that because, it, you know, I, I get emotional about it because, I mean, you know, my father and my, my uncle, Manuel Rodarte, they, they started Rodarte Builders. They called it Rodarte oh, Builders. Pioneers. Well, the, the point is, is that that I want to make about it is that they started it because they wanted people of color African-Americans, Mexican-Americans to be able to not only 
own their own homes, but to actually afford them, you know, to afford yeah. them so that they wouldn't lose them and that they could live in prosperity and liberty and justice for all. I mean, you know, so I can't believe 50 years after the, the Fair Housing Act was passed under Lyndon B. Johnson that, you know, we're still talking about it and that, you know, President Biden has to actually move on this, you know, to direct, uh, you know, that there is equity in home appraising and also in that there's, you know, uh, enforcement of the fair housing law 50 years after it was put in place. And part oh of my it, gosh, yeah. know, it's, it's just, it just, uh, it just blows your mind. Doesn't it? When we think about the historical significance and, you know, like I said, you, you lived and remember during the sixties and those racial yeah. tensions and the riots and everything else. And, um, here we are, 2021, and we're and we still got this uh, this backwards of society. I would say because we should be on be beyond this by now, wouldn't you say? I would say absolutely, we should be beyond it. And, and but again, it comes back to acknowledging our history, yeah, and, yeah. and recognizing how we can make improvements and how everyone benefits. Yes, and I I want to touch on that because uh, you posted on a post uh, in regard to uh, my Facebook account where you talked about that whitewashing. And I want to talk about that because I think it's really important. And I'm going to, I'm going to just quote you here. It's in what you wrote it. You said that um, it is why we think the only exceptionalism is American exceptionalism. It is why people shout, we want our country back. I'm going to say that again. We want our country back. You know, the one without people of color. It is why people shout, lift yourself up by your bootstraps. Notwithstanding that, in many cases, the person has no boots. In short, it is the ignorance of our real history that has fed the arrogance of many of our fellow citizens. The truth shall set you free. John, that is really powerful. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Thank you. <laughs> we, we never seem to, we always think that acknowledging someone else's success can only come at the expense of somebody else. And, and that's so not true. It, it, and so we want to remain ignorant. We want to believe a certain way and that if it wasn't for us, you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm putting myself in, in someone else's shoes. If it wasn't for us, we never would have succeeded. You know, well, no. We succeeded because everybody was involved, but not everyone's contribution was acknowledged. And so that feeds into an arrogance. Like, well, we're, we're you know, if it wasn't for us, nothing would have happened. You know, those, those people over there, they, they never would have gotten it done. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's not true. And, and, and so we're ignorant, and in our ignorance, we're arrogant, and we can't acknowledge the contributions of other people. We, we, we don't believe in that rising tide speech and and i so much believe in that yeah yeah and you know i feel that uh, the indoctrination of our history you know has been really biased when i look back now and you you wonder why we weren't taught so many of these historical events whether good or bad here in america and the and the tulsa massacre that was major that was something that happened that affected people for generations why weren't we taught that back in in you know our grade school or our, our junior high years? And it, it makes you wonder what else haven't we been taught? You know, 
I can think of a few things. I can think of a few things. Think of you know the the take on the Alamo and that in that battle. What happened there? You know what happened with reparations, uh, not only on a national level but in Detroit, Saginaw, that affected our Mexican people, and uh, you barely hear about that in U.S. history. And and then wow. and then when we talk about the American Indians and you know what they went through, it's the the stories were very screwed, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, they were, and th- it would be uncomfortable for some of our fellow citizens to have to acknowledge the advantage they got through the systemic racism that was part and parcel of our country. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's such a hot topic today. And you hear about the woke community from the Republicans, and you hear about the, you know, on the left. I mean, something's got to give eventually. And I hope that under this administration, that President Biden is going to go forward, continue these types of uh, visits and commemoration to the truth. And that's what it is. I, the I truth. hope so too. Yeah. And as the makeup of our congressional membership, as, a, as our congressional membership starts to reflect our population more accurately, those kind of issues would then get the day, you know, the daylight they deserve. Yes, yes, and it's something that we, as a people, and I'm I'm talking the Great Lakes Bay region, all of us, we all need to recognize our history for what it was, and sometimes uh, we just take it for granted. We we don't want to hear it. You know, why do you keep bringing that stuff up? Well, we need to talk about it. We need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And we have seen too many times, too many incidences, especially, you know, under a certain administration that I felt that, oh, my God, we're going there again. We're going backwards instead of forward. And it's really. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and there's just so many other issues, you know, especially with what's happening at our border, you know, with um, the immigrants now today, this is a, this is really, you know, it's kind of connected to what happened in Tulsa, you know, a hundred years ago with, with the idea of white supremacy as well as in Charlotte, Virginia. And so this is why we brought it up today here on Me Hint On Air. And I really want to thank you, John, for being with us. Do you have any final thoughts in regard to this? I'm hopeful. I am hopeful, as I said, as our congressional membership reflects more accurately our population, these kind of things, these progressive ideas will will bear fruit. Yes, yes. So I I just want to wrap with, you know, saying that in the Tulsa massacre, it was estimated that 300 people were killed. President Biden promised the survivors that their story would be known in full view this week. Isn't that something? After all this time, it is painful to look at, yet 800 people were seriously injured. 600 blacks were interned in large facilities for several days. 10,000 black people were left homeless. 1.5 million in property damages, equivalent to 35 million today. And in 1996, the commission was authorized by the Oklahoma State Legislature to seek the truth as to what really did happen 75 years earlier. It concluded and reported in 2001 that the city had conspired with the mob of white citizens against black citizens. They recommended reparations to survivors and their descendants. A park was dedicated as well in 2010 in memory of the victims and in 2020, just last year. Can you believe this? The massacre became part of the Oklahoma school curriculum throughout the state. Man, that's it. I thank you, John Ayala. Thank you for being with us today. 
Historic lesson, and it's so important to recognize it. I'm Larry Rodarte talking Latino concerns, culture, and contributions. Thank you for listening. Until next week, hasta luego. Adios.